Welcome to the Grace City Eugene podcast. We exist to help every person in our sphere of influence encounter Christ, experience biblical community, and extend God's kingdom. If we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out to hello at gracecityeugene.com. Here's the podcast. It's good to see you all. I miss you. This is, this is a treat. I don't think I've been able to see many of you in the last year. You got to see my face a couple months ago on a video, but uh, it's, so, it's so good to be with you. It really does feel like home when I come back to this place. And even if I just run into you, um, some random spot, it just feels like, oh, you're my people. We get each other. We've got this good thing going on, right? I loved coming back today because it kind of felt like when you have little kids and you like go to work and you come back and they've like learned a new skill. It's like, Addie, you're, a, you're like a lady now. Like, you're wearing jewelry and you're poised and like eloquent. This is fascinating. You're growing. Doc, your beard is even better than the last time I saw you. Man, Chris and Melissa are like basically the next Johnny Swim. I don't know. When did this happen? You've been practicing. Uh, there's just growth here and it's incredible to watch. You have to know how how uh, fondly we think of you in Corvallis. We speak of you very often. Elisa, you're, you have dark hair now. See, it's happening all of the time. It looks good. It's a good, good move. Um, Man, there's just, there's these murmurings of Grace City Eugene and the prayer culture that you guys have established here, or just the way that it feels like family when you're, you're around each other, the, the way that you love the lost and that you're reaching out and loving your city in this time. There's so many things happening here that inspire us back in Corval- Corvallis. <laughs> and um, so good work. Uh, keep going. And I'm just really honored to be here among you. I don't know if you know this, but I am a big deal, and I have quite a fan club at home. There are three fine gentlemen under the age of five that are at home watching me. So good morning to Arlo and Ollie and Abel. Please go give your dad a back rub right now. Get him some coffee. Be nice. I'll be home soon. Uh, But hello to everyone else joining us online. This is going to be a really fun morning. So you guys have been going through the whole book of Mark, huh? This is amazing. And you're in this series called Passion, where we're following Jesus and his journey towards the cross and beyond. We're going to pick up this morning right where you left off last week. But let me just tell you, before we do that, I have so enjoyed the prep of this message. Uh, The two passages that Chris sent me, um, I've never read them back-to-back prepping a sermon together. I've, I've read them separately. I've prepared messages for them separately, but, but holding them together and looking at them and the parallels between them has really sent me on quite a journey and rocked me a little bit. And so I'm excited to just kind of ponder these questions that I have with you. You're, uh, you're right after the, the Last Supper, right? I think we're going to pick up just kind of right there at the end here. And we're going to go through this really awkward public rebuke and then into a really personal, and um, I liked the word intimate that we were just singing. Like, it's like almost a moment you see with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane that feels like something you shouldn't have watched. You see him in a very human light. And so let's do that. Let's jump into verse 27 here. 
and see where this cool passage takes us. You will all fall away. Great, Jesus. Thank you for that lead-in. It's going to be encouraging, can't you tell? You will all fall away, Jesus told them. For it's written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I've risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted, I disown you. And all the others said the same. Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more he went away and prayed the same thing, and when he came back he found them sleeping again because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Okay. I love the scriptures. I am actually obsessed with them. I love them for many reasons, but today I am specifically grateful for them because each time we read through a story like this, whether we've heard it before or not, there's a fresh word of God for us, depending on the season of life that we're in, what we've just walked through, what he's doing in the world. Sometimes nothing really applies to us, but it's just this wild reminder of how big God actually is and how he knows so much more than us. And we're always invited into this moment to trust in his wisdom and his perspectives and join into the story he is writing rather than just trusting on our, our own limits. So today, I just want to sit with you, kind of feel like we're in a living room or a coffee shop when, when that's a thing again, and just consider some stuff, just ponder some things together and see how this story that maybe we have heard quite a few times before, might actually touch us in a new way, that we could see this with fresh eyes and listen to God, to God about what he's saying to us right now. So what can we learn from Peter and John's, John and James and Jesus from 2,021 years ago that might actually apply to us and spur us on towards greater works today? Last year, around this time, I started a prayer journal 
I remember this really strong feeling from God that he was doing something and he wanted me to pay attention. I just, I kept hearing like, don't miss this, Hillary. Don't miss this. And I had no idea about the year we were about to walk into. I thought it was going to be a two-week shutdown, so I got a tiny journal. (laughs) And I just knew that we were on the front end of something, and he was inviting me along for the journey. But it was going to take the full weight of my attention to get the full blessing I don't know if that's theologically sounds, like don't, don't copy and paste that into your life. I just knew that what he was saying to me was, Hillary, you're about to walk a road where I'm going to put some little treasures along the way. And if you don't have your eyes up and looking at me, you're going to miss some stuff. So pay attention, lean in, let's, let's keep looking at each other as we walk through this thing. And I looked back through that in preparation of this message, and I found an entry from April 1st, so almost a year ago, that, um, that I think I should read to you. And it's embarrassing. So just, just roll with it, okay? Katie Lins is in. She's, well, you're not Katie Lins anymore. See, you're growing. Things are changing. Katie's in. Um, just, yeah, just... This is kind of a a Hillary in the garden moment, like a very raw and real moment with Jesus. So hear how I talk with the Lord. Come along for the ride. It says, I really want to lead through this storm, but I feel so tired, so foggy, so beat down, uninterested, overwhelmed. My foundation is shaky, and it feels like I'm not going to survive, like I won't be whole on the other side. My mind is wandering to worst case. I'm beginning to play out scenarios that aren't happening. My sleep is restless, if real at all. I'm frustrated. I'm weak. I'm not following. So ultimately, I'm not leading. I'm just existing. So dramatic. Can you help me with that? <laughs> Good Jesus. Can you, just, can you just help Jesus? Whatever you need to correct in my soul, whatever you need to cut off, to revive, I'm desperate for it. I want to help and not hurt in this season. So could you lift my eyes and my burdens? If you lead, I'll follow. If you speak, I will listen. Okay, there's dramatic Hillary in her desperate moments with Jesus. Um, I'm, I'm less embarrassed to share this with you because I know on some level you guys felt the exact same things at some point in the last 365 days. I think we all got used to riding the wave of COVID, right? And there were days where we could be like super inspired to whip our coffee for an hour so it could look like a cloud and then go like drop a note in our neighbor's mailbox. And then the next day we'd catch news of some news report or projection or, or something that was happening on the horizon that would freak us out and send us down some spiral of fear. And this was one of those moments for me. I just found out since I was pregnant that uh, at that point in like April, they were saying you'd probably have to give birth alone in like an isolation chamber and they'd take your baby for two weeks till it was proven you both didn't have COVID. And that didn't sound super exciting to me. And I was just super fearful. But the cool thing about reading something like this is that I could see how willing my spirit was for God to be with me in the journey. I was pleading with him to be a part of it. I wanted so desperately, whatever I was about to face, for God to be the one that was going to lead me through it. And I find some comfort in that, knowing, okay, 
You, you felt a pressing, uh, a crushing, but you were talking to God. That's really great. Just one slight problem. That is the last entry in my journal for two months. I fell asleep. And I could say, well, I was just pregnant and tired, or I was just adjusting to new norms, or things at work were just really rough. But when we're just being honest about it, I fell asleep. I got really tired, and I checked out. My spirit was genuinely, earnestly seeking God and willing to participate, but my flesh was really weak, and I fell asleep on Jesus. There's this little phrase that the youths are saying this, these days, and, and I can speak on behalf of them because I did listen to Taylor Swift's both of their album, her albums this year, and I do own a uh, piece of tie-dye clothing. So I'm in with them. We're good. They've cleared me speaking for them. When something important happens or there's something really cool to experience, the youngsters are saying, don't sleep on this. There's this really great milkshake at Carl's Jr., and they actually blend Captain Crunch into the vanilla ice cream, and it's seasonal, so don't sleep on this. Go check it out. They can even use it as like kind of a burn, like, mmm, fam, your lips are a little chapped. It's called a lip exfoliator. Don't sleep on that. Don't sleep on this. Wouldn't you know, Gen C is coming in hot with our, our takeaway from this message, because Jesus walks up on his three closest friends here in Mark 14. And he has the most heartbreaking human moment with him, where, with them where he's saying, hey, I'm, I'm feeling a little weak. Could you stand with me? Could you keep watch? Could you pray with me? And he comes back to them sleeping. And he comes back again saying, hey, guys, something is important right now. Something good is really happening, and I'm inviting you to be a part of this. Don't miss this. And they still sleep on it. What I love about reading both of these passages of Peter's denial and then the disciples in the garden side by side is that I've picked up on the warning of Peter being uh, you know, denying Jesus three times. I've seen that, obviously, clear as day. But this is the first time that I've seen a second warning in the next passage where Jesus comes back three times and says, be careful, be alert, don't fall asleep, keep watch. You're going to fall into temptation. So fight for this. Connect with me. It's like this warning about like a public denial, but then there's a warning of like a private ignorance, like a, a private disinterest and apathy. And this is where I've just kind of spiraled the last few weeks, and I can't stop asking myself these questions. I've woken up in the middle of the night and thought about these things. I got caught dozing off in a staff meeting because I was thinking about this message, don't tell Corvallis. Um, I just keep poking at this, and, and I'm pretty confident that there's something for us on the other side if we just walk this little journey this morning together and ask ourselves some actual questions about this. What's up with these two warnings? How might these actually impact us and become more than this black and white Sunday school lesson that we've heard a few times? 
So I've got some questions to ask you, and heads up, there's no answers. This isn't theology. We're not going to find like a, a text in here that's going to answer it for us. These are just questions to help humanize what's happening here and help our hearts to connect with the reality of this and see if there might actually be something that we can glean. So are you ready? My first question, are you with me? First question, which action, the public denial or the private disinterest, do you think hurt Jesus more in that moment? He's got his friend, one of his closest three, Peter, who goes out in front of people and says, Jesus, oh, this guy that I've spent the last three years with who has invested everything in me and now laid down his life for me, I don't know him. I don't know what you're talking about. We're not friends. But then we've got this private moment where Jesus is feeling very weak and would like some support and comes to them asking for help. And he ignores the request three times. Which one would sting worse? Maybe not for Jesus. Let's think about you. What would hurt your feelings more? A close friend saying, I don't know who that is or asking for help because you need to move, and they see your text. It says red, but they never respond. Being ghosted, being ignored. What hurts worse? I mean, they both stink, right? These are both very personal um, hurts and wounds. Next question. Which one do you think wrecked Peter more? Which one do you think he had to process through more on, on the back end after he knows what happened to Jesus and how the, the rest of his life plays out. He's kind of at the end of his days and he looks back at all the things that he's done well in life and the few things that he regrets. What do you think kind of lingers in his soul that he kind of just has to work through? I've done both of these things in my relationship with the Lord and they just play through my head sometimes as I wrestle through. Why would I minimize our relationship in front of a group of people just to be accepted? Or why would I clearly know that you're asking me to do something and just ignore? Why would I sleep on it? Here's the last question, and this is the one I want to camp on this morning and unpack. Where did it go wrong? How did things spiral so quickly? How could Peter go from, even if I die with you, I will never disown you, to, I'm tired though, I can't, in like a matter of hours. And all he's doing is being asked to pray and, and stay awake. But more than that, how could Jesus go from, I'm tired and I don't want to do this, to, okay, Here's my life. I will not disown you, so I will die for you in just a matter of hours, too. There's a stark difference between Peter and Jesus here in the garden. Fast forward 24 hours from this moment, and Peter publicly denies Christ to save himself, and Jesus publicly dies to save all of us. And if you retrace those steps back, to that, and from that incredibly selfish action and that entirely selfless one. You find them both in the garden. And I'm pretty convinced that the garden is the place where the fate of those decisions was fought for. That battle was fought in the dark. 
and the choices that were ultimately made were determined by the amount of Jesus, of God that, that flew into, fell, okay, the amount of strength that God gave them in that moment to walk it out. So if you look at the disciples, they fell asleep and there was no room for God to move. There was no way that his power and presence could come into them and fill them and remind them and encourage them and empower them to go out and walk any sort of road that he was calling them to follow. But with Jesus, there was humility. There was a ton of weakness. There was just a full open tank of, I have got nothing. And I'm asking you to be the source of what fills me and carries me out from this moment. And Jesus' humility and trust gave the Holy Spirit unlimited space to come crashing into that weakness and to give him that courage and grace to push back that reckless assignment from the enemy and defeat death forever, even if it was one small and weak, uh, powerless, but purposed step at a time. God enabled Jesus to move forward. The Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So deep down, I think it's very fair to say that all four of those men in the garden wanted the same thing. They wanted Jesus to win the day. They wanted the kingdom of God to come to earth as it was in heaven. They wanted death and darkness to be defeated and for all to find healing and new life in Christ. They were on board with the story. But to truly fight in the light, there was an invitation to fight in the dark. And only one man did and was ready for the journey he had to walk. The other three slept on the chance and they showed up unprepared. When I read passages where we get to parallel Jesus' life with the disciples' life, I always see myself in the disciples, and I always feel like, oh, I'm so glad I wasn't alive during those days because I would be the one recorded as, please don't do things like Hillary did. Be more like Jesus. But I have to remember that Jesus didn't come with some like secret sauce that he'd just like pull out and sprinkle when things got really hard. He didn't like play the like, oh, and also I'm God, so let's just like get out of jail free here. I don't want to walk through this one. Time and time again, you've been reading through the book of Mark, you see Jesus limit his power and walk an entirely human road, living a human experience where he's full of weakness and temptation and anything that we would experience. He's faced it all, and he hasn't shown up with a God card. He's walked through it empowering us, like, hey, you could do the same thing. You could go in a garden and get down on your knees and ask God for help. That's not something miraculous and special that you pick up from being, like, in heaven since the creation of time, and then you show up and you've got these special muscles. Like, this is just a very normal thing y'all can do. Jesus lived like us to show us that we could live like him. And this is the consistent pattern that we see. And the garden wasn't even just the one time that Jesus got away to talk to God. We see this time and time again, that he steals moments to look in, say, hey, how you doing? I'm really tired. I need you to fill me. 
This has been the mark of of Jesus' life. He has spent years and years and years reading the Torah and learning the scriptures so that it's inside of his soul and comes out in his conversations. He's done the work of instead of checking out and doing what's easy, checking in with his father and being developed and grown and establishing a relationship that would give him the fight that he needs to handle the really big tasks that are above a, a human Um, requirement. This is what allowed Jesus to walk to the cross. This huge and public moment was the private work that he did, checking in with his father day after day. And I think this is such a kind reminder for us because I truly believe that there is soon coming a day, if it's not already here, where we're going to have this fresh wave of opportunities to share our faith in the light and to encounter a whole group of people who are just ready for truth. And I'm not talking about this in like this elusive like North America revival or the Pacific Northwest is what? No, Grace City Church, Eugene. I see this happening. I hear this already in the conversations you're having about people that you care for and this new passion for the campus and the dreams that you have about reaching people in your community. Like God is already doing something incredible here. It's just beginning and there's so much more to come. People are ready for truth. They're ready for something real. They're hungry for real healing, not these like self-care platitudes. There's, there's, there's stuff happening here, and you are going to have opportunities to speak out and share what God has done in your heart. Share that testimony. Share how Jesus has changed your life. He's doing something incredible, and he's inviting you to come along on the journey and he doesn't want you to miss it. But we can't expect to walk in the light on behalf of Jesus without taking the time to actually be with Jesus. We can't expect to go out and fight with him for these relationships if we won't fight with him for our relationship. The best way to have confidence and to openly and boldly speak truth to strangers in the light is to have the consistency to speak with your father in the dark. And I don't care what platform you find yourself on or what room you find yourself in or what calling that you chase to make God's name great, if you don't have the light of God in you, The light that shines on you from the world will burn you. What's inside of you has to be brighter. We see it with Jesus. And if he did it, you can do it too. But the bummer truth, the super offensive thought that smacked Peter in the face at the end of that Last Supper is that we all need Jesus. We're not just like, Okay, we're good now. We know that Jesus is king. Cool, sign me up. Now I'm going to go help everybody else. He's still coming for you every single day. And the beautiful truth of that is that anything that Jesus did, you can do too. And that all that he did was show up and check in with his father instead of checking out. If 
you want to follow Jesus, if you want to follow his will, if you want to know him and serve him and live a fruitful life, sharing good news about him to others, there are so many ways that you can grow with him. Your life can overflow with this like immeasurable amount of fruit. But there's just this one important nudging from God that's kind of the whole point, like what this is all built on. And that's that you actually have to privately be with him if you want to be effective publicly. God's going to do something incredible, and he's inviting you along. So don't sleep on Jesus. Don't miss it. Don't just watch him change the world right now. Let him actually change yours. Rather than checking out right now, whether it be the Netflix or the TikTok or food or sleep or some other coping mechanism that allows you to kind of numb things and just make it through another 24, which we've already seen, so much can happen in a day. So that's a dangerous way to live. We are invited to watch and pray so that we don't fall into temptation, so that our willing spirit can match a willing flesh that will walk through anything when things get hard. And I want to end with a way that Psalm 121 builds this up because I think it says it perfectly. Psalm 121 tells us, we lift our eyes to the mountains. We're watching. Where does our help come from? Our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. Now listen to this. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The God who's asking you to watch him is watching you too. The God who's asking you to spiritually stay awake, keep your eyes on me. He never sleeps. He'll never sleep on you. This God from Psalm 121, that love, that power, that presence enabled Jesus who knew he was about to be brutally and innocently murdered on his knees and trembling in the garden. It enabled him to stand up and to face his future. And that same God who never sleeps, who always thinks of you, who is for you and with you, who never takes his eye off you, promises to walk with you through whatever challenges and opportunities you face. Worship team, you can come up if you want. I'm going to kind of do a little ministry moment, so we won't sing for a second, but I like the, I like the music behind it. Makes, it's like when you sit down with a plate of food, you just feel more comfortable, so let's just get some music going, huh? If you find yourself in a space where your spirit is willing, but you just feel weak or worried 
Or here, let me just go first. Tired, foggy, beat down, uninterested, overwhelmed, foundation shaky, feel like you might not survive where you're at, you might not come out whole, you're frustrated, you're just following. We are invited to check in, to put our eyes on Jesus, and to talk to him, to sit in a space where we can feel complete emptiness and sorrow, and be brutally honest about the state of our feelings, our emotions, our circumstances, and say, what do you got? Because I can't walk out of this on my own. I want to check out, but you've got what I need to walk through another 24. Let's do this together. And I want to pray for you, if that's you. I don't want to like embarrass you, so you don't have to stand. You can just open your hands. You can do whatever you need to at home. Um, if you do, like if you're just, if standing helps you feel like you're owning that, please do. Someone around you will put their hand on you if that's a safe bubble germ thing to do. Um, I just want to invite the presence of God into this moment where we can all just be honest like Jesus was in the garden. No secret sauce and just ask for help. And as you continue to go through this series in Mark, whatever he leads you into, whatever revelation he has for you, I felt so strongly that this week the reminder was that he's with you, that his eyes on you, and that there's a piece of your heart, even if you feel numb and broken, that does want God. And maybe you're just not sure how to get to him, how to connect with him, what you need to make this thing feel more real and all that it is. So watch in a prayer can access that at any moment. There is a quiet space full of peace in some garden waiting for you. And all that you need to access it is to put your eyes on the Lord and ask for help. So if that's you, you can just agree with me in your spirit. You can open your hands. You can stand. Whatever feels right to you. Let's just allow a moment for the spirit of God to minister to your soul. Jesus, thank you for going first. Thank you for showing us what strength looks like in weakness, what trust looks like in hopelessness, what help looks like when we need it. We thank you for the sacrifice that you made so that a relationship with our Father can be accessed just like it was with you there's now nothing that holds us back from talking with our dad the way you so humbly and openly talked with him yourself. Father, we find ourselves in a very disorienting time. Some days we feel fine. Some days we don't know which way is west. But we know that with our eyes on you, you will lead us. So right now, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room and tuning in from home. We recognize the burdens that they are carrying, the fears that they have, the anxious thoughts that keep them up at night, the 
apathy that they walk around with just trying to exist and, and ride out the rest of whatever the season is until life can begin again, whatever that looks like, Lord. We just silence anything from the enemy that says that this is the way to live. And I'm asking that in place of all of that mindless chatter, that you would begin to build in them an earnest desire to seek you with all of their heart. Would you bind up their wounds? Would you breathe fresh truth into their souls? Would you just reveal any lie that has been stealing from them for far too long and remind them of the truth that you are with them? that you are up to something good and that you are including them in this process if they can just find the boldness to look at you, to check in with you instead of checking out. Father, I'm asking that you would help us to hate the things that pull us down, that we'd be able to see them for what they are and that we would be able to run to you with an eagerness and a confidence knowing that we might not know what's ahead, but we know where you are and where you are is where we're going. Father, would you mark our lives with this truth? Would you make us a people who in this next season of advancement, in this next season where lost sons and daughters find you, we could be a part of it. We could add to the conversation but not in our own strength or our own power or for our own accolades, but strictly out of an overflow of what you have done in our hearts. Would the work you're doing here in the world become good news for us too? We thank you for the garden. We thank you for your example, and we thank you that we can find you just as you found your father anytime that we call on you. Thank you that you don't fall asleep, that you watch us. Help us to return those advances to you in the name of Jesus.